0: Everybody, welcome to Cantorian. Yee, very excited. Thank you to uh producer Ted from from the radio show. For there, he is in the background for hooking us up with this guest. We're talking to Danny Goldberg, former Nirvana manager, who's got a new book called Serving the Servant Remembering Kurt Cobain. Danny was the president and owner of Gold Village Entertainment, or he's currently the president and owner of Gold Village Entertainment, but from uh, 1983 to 1992, he was the founder and president of Gold Mountain Entertainment. Not Gold Village, but Gold Mountain, where he was a manager, artist management firm, whose clients included, in addition to Nirvana, Hole, Sonic Youth, the Almond Brothers, Ricky Lee Jones... And the list goes on and he formed an independent label in 1999 ran the company until january 2005 and today he's an author acclaimed author and again operator of gold village entertainment please welcome or actually before we pick up danny goldberg i should thank our sponsors let me start with uh, march and ash down in mission valley premiere the nicest no question uh dispensary here in san diego They've uh, been up and running now for a couple of months. They have a big 420 party happening this weekend with Wilfred, the dog from the FX show. Wilfred, Jason Gann, who we talked to on the last podcast. He's going to be down there meeting and greeting, and they're going to have a bunch of specials down there, as well as a huge skate park demo. Actually helped them uh, secure a skate park. Thank you to Keen Ramps out of the OC. And they'll have a full skate demo down there at March and Ash. Again, Mission Valley. It's uh, Camino Del Rio South and it's happening this Saturday, 420, from noon to, well, 420. How about that? Also, thank you to Baja Bound Mexican Auto Insurance. If you're planning a trip to Mexico, hit them up. In fact, I'll be hitting the Scorpion Bay, a little surf trip this summer. Looking forward to going down there with my new Josh Hall surfboard. Scorpion Bay, the hotel's insane. And yes, if you're planning a trip south of the border down to Baja, make sure you hook up with Baja Bound. Mexican Auto Insurance at BajaBound.com. Also, the Scooter Farm. All the kiddies over at the Scooter Farm. My son, all his friends, ripping. They're on the skateboards, the scooters, you name it. They're just loving life over at Claremont Skate Park. And before they hit Claremont Skate Park, they always stop at the Scooter Farm, ask for Bo or Doug, and check them out online at theScooterFarm.com. All right, that's enough of the business. Let's get to, uh, The business manager for Nirvana, Danny Goldberg. Pumped to talk to Danny. I remember seeing his name all the time when I was a kid. I I would say, Kurt Cobain, Chris Novoselic, Dave Grohl, and of course, Danny Goldberg. He was Nirvana's manager during that time.
1: Well, that's very flattering. It's, uh, you know, like you say, the guys in the band made the music, but uh, I I, I did uh, love working with them, and I particularly loved working with Kurt.
0: Yeah, I would imagine that was, needless to say, the inspiration behind Serving the Servant, remembering Kurt Cobain. Now, is this the first time you've ever written a book?
1: No, this is my fourth book, and um, I'd written a chapter about Nirvana in a a rock and roll business memoir I did in 2009 called um, Bumping into Geniuses, but I just felt like particularly after that HBO documentary montage of Heck and the passage of time and knowing that the 20th anniversary of his death was coming up, that somehow or other the public perception of Kurt in the media had disproportionately been focusing on his death and his dark side and not enough on his music and his sweetness and the reasons why we actually do remember him. So I had a different experience with him than some of the other people that have written about him. And uh, I I, I, uh, I didn't write it as a journalist. It's a memoir of the three and a half years that I worked with him and knew him. Uh, and uh, I, I, just, I just thought it was a portrait that fans might uh, like to go along with the others that are out there.
0: And that's what I like to hear, because I have yet to sit down with your book, but I became kind of numb to the whole, the storyline and the narrative about Kurt being so tortured and the focus on his death.
1: Well, I mean, obviously it was a little more personal to me. Uh, you know, just I loved the guy so much, and the tragedy of losing him was not only a artistic tragedy for people who liked his music, but for the people who liked him a real personal loss because he was a, a beautiful guy. I mean, he had darkness, but and it was prone to depression and drug addiction, but. All of his darkness was interdirected to other people. He was a really thoughtful, considerate friend. And, and you know, not everybody who's brilliant artistically is a, is, is particularly interested in other people, but, but but Kurt was. But but beyond that, over all these years, because people know I work with the band, you know, every intern that comes into my office, uh, you know, wants to know something about Kurt, even though they weren't even alive and yeah. even when he... And I think the power of his music and the guy that I knew the most to me was the most brilliant uh, artist I ever got to work with up close was a little bit obscured. So my experience with him was, you know, I had to deal with some of the dark things. I was I was sort of the day to day person for him on a lot of issues but 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 I was just dazzled by what he accomplished uh, not only the records but you know he was the lead guitar player and the lead singer so he did everything in nirvana that robert plant and jimmy page did he wrote the li- in, in zeppelin he wrote the lyrics and the music he designed the album covers he storyboarded the videos he designed the t-shirts and he made every single decision for the band. And to work with him was really incredible because his level of sophistication about what it was to be a rock artist and the way to communicate with a global audience, not only with songs where you could hum the chorus that he made really smart records, but that he stood for kind of a new definition of masculinity, a contrast to the misogynistic macho frontman. You're right. That he was a champion of this 80s punk rock culture that was so rebellious, but also acknowledged the musical magic of, you know, groups like the Beatles and, you know, even some heavy metal, uh, you know, instrumental things that he fused so many different things and straddled so many different things that, to you know, I just thought describing his process and what he accomplished would be interesting to people, as well as how we tried to deal with the problems that that, that, that came up so that I did my best it's, it's a personal portrait I'm not saying it's the truth about Kurt it, but it's my truth about him and I, I really did love him
0: that's why I'm so interested in this book because your truth is the truth I want to hear I don't want to hear about these peripheral journalists who have written books or made documentaries or, and I'm not saying this to inflate anything. It was just, I knew yeah. the, that's why I wanted to talk to you because I know the name, Danny Goldberg, because she worked with Nirvana, Hole, Sonic Youth, Bonnie Raitt, the Almond Brothers. But when it comes to Nirvana, what was the first introduction? How did you start working with them to begin with?
1: Well, in, in 19, you know, in, in the late eighties, by by nineteen ninety, I had a management company called Gold Mountain, based in Los Angeles. That was, um, and our biggest client at that time was Bonnie Raitt, who, who you just mentioned, who had just won the Grammy for Album of the Year, and had some other older artists. But I knew there was this new generation of <clears throat> rock and roll artists coming up out of the American punk scene, and that I wasn't really that connected to it. I was a hippie generation. I was. 40 by that time, so I hired a young guy named John Silva, who today is a very successful manager of the Foo Fighters and other bands. At that time, he was starting, and, and with the goal of getting some artists in that lane, and we signed uh, Sonic Youth, which was really a big breakthrough for us, because they were so respected in the and right. an alternative subculture. And sub-
0: Kurt loved them, right?
1: And then Thurston Moore of Sonic Youth, after a few months, I grew to just admire him so much. I learned so much from Sonic Youth about about music that I was not that aware of, and he was the—they were just the curators of the alternative rock scene—and and he told me Nirvana was the best band he'd seen. And even though he knew I didn't usually like new acts because it takes a while to make money with them, that I should make an exception. John had seen them open to Sonic Youth on some dates, and uh, so we, the band came to LA. To meet us. They wanted to leave the indie label that had made their first record, Bleach. They wanted to get onto the major label the way Sonic Youth had. They'd seen yep. that Sonic Youth hadn't had to give up any artistic integrity in return for good marketing and distribution and everything. And they liked us for the same reason we liked them, because Sonic Youth said we were okay. So we had one meeting and then we were the manager. And in that meeting, for the first 10 or 15 minutes, Kurt didn't say anything. Chris Novoselic did all the talking. He was very gregarious. We had a lot of things in common politically and so forth. And then I asked if they wanted to stay on the indie label. And suddenly Kurt, who was physically the smallest of the three, <laughs> just said no. And he had these flashy blue eyes and determination. And that was the answer. I mean, I realized two things at that time. Number one, that. He wanted to be successful. He wanted it to be on his own terms, but he wanted to be successful. And number two, that he was the boss, yeah. that it wasn't a democracy. He he made the decisions for the band.
0: The other thing I wanted to ask you as it relates to, you know, obviously his, his demise, do you think we're looking at Kurt differently today because we have a better understanding of mental health today than we did 25 years ago?
1: I'm not sure we have that much a better understanding. I hope we have a better understanding of it, but there are still so many mysteries. I mean, a pretty good friend of mine just killed himself uh, last week. And, uh, you know, it was a shock to a lot of people that loved him and knew him. Um, I think that, uh, you know, it's a mystery. Uh, Drug addiction, uh, uh, suicidal behavior, and even depression. Uh, Doctors know certain drugs that work on certain people, certain therapies that work on certain people. And I think if you love someone who's having problems, you do everything to expose them to any solutions that are known to psychiatrists, teachers, philosophers, spiritual leaders, but uh, it's not an exact science, and uh, people, unfortunately, still kill themselves every year. 50,000 in America, three-quarters of them men, half of those by gun. He left us some great music, and I really try to focus on his artistry, because I love great art, and I love rock and roll, and he's one of the greats, but uh, why he died at that age, why Jimi Hendrix and so many others died at that age. Uh, I just, I don't think anyone knows the answer.
0: Yeah. For me, it was the first time I even heard that word or knew somebody, even though I didn't know Kurt, but to have that yeah. happen was so profound where today, like you said, and I'm so sorry, you just lost a friend last week. And I, I understand that speak that, uh, I just put it through a different filter personally where before it seemed like I used well, to Well, like... there's
1: been a history long before... Kurt Cobain was born of creative people, a certain percentage of them having a kind of a sensitivity or psychology that made them um, possible suicides. I mean, a lot of my here, I'm of the hippie generation, and, uh, you know, uh, we lost a lot of people. Now, you know, some people would say a heroin overdose is not the same as suicide, but to me, it's Russian roulette. I right. mean, you know, it's suicidal. And, you know, losing Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison, but going back even earlier, Vincent Van Gogh, uh, you know, Sylvia Plath. um, True. You can go down the list, Uh, Lenny Bruce, uh, uh, Phil Oakes, a singer-songwriter, great hero of mine, hung himself. Uh, uh, Why? I don't know why, but I do know there is this correlation uh, of, of great artists. Thank God, most great artists are not suicidal, but uh, some of them are, and Kurt Kurt was, and I yeah. just, uh, I don't, uh, I don't uh, downplay the pain that that caused, but I also don't think it's the most important thing about him. I think the most important thing about him is his life and what he accomplished, and I agree. what he
0: accomplished was really amazing. And it's so interesting because his music resonates more with me today than it did 25 years ago.
1: Yeah, there's something about his music that went deep. Although he was a brilliant understander of the musical language of his times in terms of creating, you know, recordings that, you know, worked on radio stations, you know, and resonated with the public quickly around the world. And he understood how to remix a record and what a chorus was supposed to sound like. He was a great craftsman. He had a great work ethic. People think of him as a slacker because he'd hang around in his pajamas a lot and <laughs> had this kind of slow, soft-spoken voice when you'd see him do interviews. But he was a fanatic about rehearsals. When they were, after, after they signed to Geffen Records, they spent months at the record, in the rehearsal studio, rehearsing every song of that record. I spoke to Butch Vig, who produced Nevermind, but he said they came in. It was just basically capturing them live in the studio. They had all the arrangements worked out because Kurt insisted on that kind of preparation. But beyond his craftsmanship, he tuned into something very deep about what it feels like to be an outsider. Uh, what it is to be a man, things that are not just a product of the 90s. And that's, uh, that's why I think the music still speaks to people. There are a handful right. of other artists who've transcended their times. I think Bob Marley does. I think Aretha Franklin does. Good point. I think uh, Bob Dylan does. But it's a short, short list, and Kurt's on it.
0: It's a thousand percent. I heard Come As You Are on the way into work this morning. And that that song and those lyrics move me more today, as I said, than they did. It's just so relevant today's day and age. And I'm curious, when it does come to the book, were you able to interview you know, Kurt's close Family, uh, Courtney, Francis Bean, uh, bandmates Dave Grohl, Chris Novoselic. Tell me about that, please. Well, what
1: I wanted to do was talk to the people that I was close to that I worked with. Again, it's a memoir; it's not a biography. And so, Francis was a baby, you know. So, you know, I, I don't even think she was talking yet when right. when Kurt died. If she was, it was a baby talk. Um, I did talk to Courtney, who was very. Generous with her thoughts and memories, and has been. I talked to Chris, who I have a long-standing relationship with, and who uh, you know knew Kurt the best in some ways. He knew him the longest. True. Uh, you know, Dave did not want to talk on the record, so that's that's the way it goes. You know, you can't get everybody. I was not that close to Dave. Dave was the newest member of the band. Uh, Kurt, as I say, made the decisions. The way the dynamics played out, there were certain separations, even though they were always together on stage and in the studio. And, uh, you know, my main relationship was with Kurt and with Courtney during those years, and that's reflected in my story. But I spoke, like I said, to Chris, to Courtney, to uh, Eric Erlinson of Hole, who was a very, very close friend to Kurt, and also sure. to the people at Geffen who worked closely with him, to the uh, Butch who produced uh, Nevermind, to Scott Litt who uh, remixed the songs on In Utero and who produced the Unplugged record, uh, and to, uh, you know, about 35 other people that, knew him, you know, during those particular years. Yeah. Uh, again, I'm just trying to paint a portrait through my eyes of where where I was. I didn't talk to his mom. I, I like his mom a lot, Wendy. I've met her over the years, but I just didn't think she was part of the story that I was telling, and I only had nine months to write the whole book, so yeah. I write my own books. <laughs> I don't use co-writers That's or co-writers awesome. or anything, so I just tried to focus on my portrait. Again, it's not... Complete but it's 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 distinctive. Yeah, well you were I, right there.
0: Yeah. Being as you said in your forties and you're managing the biggest band in the world and you're managing this drama and the stuff I'm seeing on M T V and Reading and Rolling Stone and Spin and this crazy world and this narrative about Kurt Cobain, what's it like being the middleman, the point person between the world And this three-piece band that you have a personal relationship with.
1: Well, um, you know, I I felt it was a good time in my life to do that. I had started in the business when I was 19, so I'd had 20 years behind me. I'd been the publicist for Led Zeppelin. I'd been around big artists before. I'd never been managing a band like Nirvana before, because there are so few like that that not only are big commercially, but who mean so much to their fans. Right and have a level of cultural relevance as well as having, you know, hit songs. Uh, but I, I knew the business at that time. I mean, I wouldn't say I know the business as well today. It's changed so much, but I knew it. I really knew it then, so I could give them accurate advice about dealing with, you know, MTV or record companies or concert promoters or so on. And I'd been around people with drug problems. So I felt I was as prepared as anyone could be to play the role I was supposed to play. Again, I had a younger partner who was far more knowledgeable about the exact culture that they came from, but in terms of my role, and, uh, you know, it would depend on, on what day of the week. I mean, I hated when he was depressed. I couldn't always just cheer him up or solve his emotional problems. Business problems were easy to solve. They were a big band, and we had a lot of leverage in any yeah. kind of negotiation, whether it was over artistic control or money. But personal stuff is tough, and you just try to love them and be there when I could. And, you know, uh, I I, 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 um, I try to go in as much detail in the book of kind of those three and a half years and exactly what happened to, to, to bring it uh, to, to life. But, uh, you know, the good days were great and the bad days were horrible. That's what yeah. I can tell you.
0: Well, I can't wait to dive in. I'm on spring break next week, and I'm going to spend it with a copy of *Serving the Servant*, remembering Kurt Cobain in my hand. Thank you so much. And there he goes, Danny Goldberg. That was uh, that was cool because again, <laughs> it's just uh, it's like looking at the liner notes of uh, *Never bind in, in Utero* or whatever. Just always seeing that name, Goldberg presents or managed by Danny Goldberg, and there he was. And uh, I'm excited to read the book and hear uh, a different take when it comes to kurt cobain because i do think you know when it comes to his legacy as danny said we just get so wrapped up in the negative we want to focus on the death the destruction the suicide the 27 club where at the end of the day we can't lose track that the guy was a brilliant artist and a friggin' genius and a cultural icon so to talk to a guy that was re- there with him during the movement, pretty friggin' cool in my world. So I hope you enjoyed it. I really do. Thank you to our sponsors, uh, the Patreon folks. Jason Parr, I appreciate you so much on the Patreon. Uh, you can find us on Patreon, Y-E-W. It helps us with all our online expenses and hosting all the podcasts, the network, keeping the side alive and active. Thank you to all the patrons on the Patreon With a special shout out always to mariposa ice cream who throws down a couple of hundy every month which is just mind-blowing and i can't even tell you how many times uh we were down to like I'm, i'm not even kidding just uh cockroaches and scraps and the patreon or the patrons and patreon and mariposa ice cream and everybody those donations have just helped keep us alive during times where we could barely breathe so thank you And to our sponsors, March and Ash, Baja Bound, The Scooter Farm, South Coast Surf Shops. The list will go on as we forge a new path, the same path, but a new path in 2019. Until next time, be well, much aloha, and thank you to Jake Nager and the Moment of Truth for the intro music.